Welcome back, Blue Jays fans, to another edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. My name is Brian Dot. I'm Crate Nodder at WhiteAndBlueReview.com, and we've got a big episode for you guys tonight. Uh, not necessarily planned to be a big episode as of about a week ago, but we've had uh, quite a bit of action, Matt and Joey, down on the hilltop since we last podcasted. Um, this Blue Jays Bites podcast, uh, it's got to be, what, 26? Episode 26? I, I think this is 27. 27. So, yeah. Uh, a lot to talk about in episode 27. Matt D. Moranis, Joey Tempo on the call tonight as well. So, guys, thanks for joining me. And let's just jump right in. So, uh, about a week ago coach greg mcdermott starts get who knows when it starts right but uh rumors start flying on the twitters that ohio state who a couple days previous had relieved thad mata of his coaching duties uh were in the market for new head basketball coach and had uh had a, a meeting planned with our own coach mac Matt, we'll take it from there, um, or you can take it from there. Just maybe Hello. break down for folks. I know, right? There's a lot. There's there's a lot that happened. Um, not that anybody listening doesn't really like know, but uh, kind of how it, it broke down. But what was your for, first blush, knowing coach, knowing the program, and knowing how late in the proverbial season this type of coaching change was? Um, kind of what was your first reaction or your perspective for those um, kind of harrowing 12 or 24 hours? So funny story. Yeah. Um, I mean, we found it funny anyway. I don't know if you guys will find it funny. But uh, we were – it was – I think it was Wednesday. Um, it was the same day Bob Stoops retired, if you will. I think he retired, right? Is that the official word they're using, retirement? I think um, so. Yeah, so the same day Bob Stoops retired, and then it was obviously a couple days after Thad Mata was fired in June, which is just an awesome time to fire a college basketball coach. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? Um, apparently, it was one of those conversations where Thad like walked into the AD's office and was like, "So, how's it going?" He's like, "We need to talk." It's like, "What?" Oh, really? So, anyway, we were at a yeah. It was it was that it was that casual. Um, and so we're down at uh, men's basketball's second practice, I think, of the summer. I think it was the Wednesday, uh, the first week they started. So <laughs> we're just sitting there, uh, myself and uh, Johnny Atawa, and then, like, a couple of the assistant coaches and stuff like that. Practice is wrapping up, and we're kind of just throwing out names that might be considered for the Ohio State job. <laughs> Um, Greg McDermott's name did not come up during that conversation. Uh, so it wasn't even on the radar. Mac was at practice. Uh, it didn't seem like anything was out of the ordinary. It looked like a normal summer workout. And then, um, I get home to, uh, I think it was game three of the NBA finals. I think we're getting ready to watch. And then all of a sudden, this news starts breaking out, national news, that Mac is interviewing for Ohio State. Smith is in Omaha, landing the plane, <laughs> ready to go meet with them. And I'm just like, 
do I say like an opinion on this or do I just keep tweeting about the NBA finals? Like it was just about to tip off. Like, do I just ignore it all and pretend it's not happening or whatnot? So yeah, that was kind of my world of it. Cause I really didn't have any information. So I didn't want to say anything without any information. Cause I didn't want to like speculate and just throw gasoline on the fire type of deal. So I was just letting it play out. Um, That's what the internet's yeah. for, Matt. Come on. I, damn it, right? Um, but we were talking. We were having a private conversation with you know a bunch of us uh, through text message, and so Darren told us who that he reached out to the Columbus Dispatch guy, right? And then yeah. that was pretty much like my follow for the night. I knew as soon as he reported anything that we'd know something. So I was just watching him, and then watching the finals, and I decided not to comment on anything. And then you know it worked out, you know, to where it was just one of those things where. You know, obviously Ohio State was interested, uh, much to the chagrin of Ohio State fans, which was funny. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, you know, and it turns out that you know he obviously turned it down. The rest is history. But it's kind of one of those like good to be wanted, but I'm fine here kind of things. So yeah. I don't really thinking too much about it anymore these days because it's obviously, I mean, with volleyball and things like that, like Creighton's coaches are kind of sought after every year. So it's nothing really new to me. Sure. Um, it's really, I mean, I guess it's only news to me when it's actually um, In something the news. that is going to change. Yeah, right. exactly. Like if, if Booth or Mac or somebody decide to take another job, then it becomes news to me. Uh, if I'm not really batting an eye at people being interested because it's not the first time. And I don't think, I'm certainly don't think it'll be the last. So, right that's kind of my take on things cool yeah i mean that my take on things was like complete shock right so i saw the stoops news and thought that was kind of interesting um james and my wife and i we we flew to chicago for a quick weekend watch the cubs get their brains bashed in by the national league leading colorado rockies apparently they're Uh, they're not good this year are they no 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 uh, so I've got my phone off in the airplane, like a good, you know, citizen. And, you know, what's the first thing people do when the plane lands besides get up and stand in the aisle, even though you're 30 rows away from being able to exit the freaking plane and get in everybody's <laughs> business. They just happen to do that and also turn on their phones. So all the text messages are beeping. Everybody's phones are going off. And I was not expecting mine to. And then all of a sudden I get text messages from Darren who's, you know, he's been a little punchy lately, right? Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) And all of a sudden he starts sending text messages about Mac. And so we have a 40-minute drive from Midway Airport to downtown on the orange line. And I was telling Joey before nice. we started the podcast tonight, it went from it's rumored that Ohio state is interested to John Goodman's, um, confirmed news that they are interested to it's rumored that he has an offer all in the span of that train ride. And then when we got up to the hotel, it was official that he had an offer. <laughs> I'm like, you know, hungry, hadn't had dinner, James is fighting through it, but he's, you know, he's a five-year-old in Chicago at 1030 at night looking for his meal. And I was like, this is just weird. Like this needs to just play out. So, 
Did you alert? Did you alert the little guy at all, or did you just tell Patrice, "Hey, we might have a situation on our hands here"? No, I, I had, uh, I we always pack Jay's gear when we go on trips, right? So, I had him dress in his Creighton T-shirt the next morning just for, you know, uh, solidarity with the fan base, I suppose. And um, yeah, I didn't mention it to him until after Mac uh, turned it down. And uh, but man, it was just like I felt like I hadn't been really in in tune with the Twitter craziness uh, since basketball season ended. I mean, as much as you and I and a couple people get pissed off about baseball and tweet about it and stuff, um, man, it was kind of like kind of a refresher in just how insane stuff scales out quickly in uh, in Creighton Twitter and. God, Ohio State Twitter is nasty. I mean, you would have thought yeah, they, they were are. trying to hire Bob Stoop to coach basketball the way they didn't know. coach Mac around. I mean, come on. <laughs> that was pretty wild. They were like, are you going to fire Thad for this? Like, it was, yeah. uh, it was like, well, I think that made up. I actually, I think I asked Mac the next day if he, if he was paying attention to his notifications at all. <laughs> and he Seriously. Said, no, I, I wasn't reading any of them. I was like, oh, well, some of them were positive, so. <laughs> So but Creighton fans didn't want you to leave, so that's okay. So he comes back. Everything is just moving right along. Men's basketball program welcome three newcomers to the fold. You've been down at the the championship center, uh, Matt, watching practices, watching these workouts. What have you seen so far? I know you wrote for WBR a post on on the new guys a little bit, but. Uh, I feel like you've got some stories even just like a week or two in here. <laughs> yeah. <dude. laughs> yeah. The freshmen are, um, I haven't really talked to Tyshawn that much other than for the story really. And just in passing, but Mitch and, uh, Jacob Epperson actually, after the, after I did the interview with Epperson for the story, we kind of just sat there for like another 30 minutes and just talked and I was kind of worried that he didn't really know that he could leave at any time. He kind of thought. <laughs> so so there was a point in the conversation where I was like, you know, you can just, you know, go do your thing if you want. You don't have to sit here the whole time. Because I was still waiting for Mitch at the time, and he was just kind of just talking. And it was like getting to the point where we were the last two people in the gym. And I was like, you know, if you've got a <laughs> life to go live, feel free. Because uh, this is my life. I just sit here and wait for people to do so, so it was like that was the only uncomfortable part. He was like, oh, okay. Uh, two hours later, you're, like shagging, you're shagging rebounds for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like taking him out to eat and uh, texting Rob like he won't leave. Um, but yeah, he's a good kid. Uh, but Manny Suarez is a character. We need, I don't know, he's going he to be a recurring podcast guest. Like uh, that guy's got stories. Um, yeah. People are going to like him if they like get to interact with him because he's just so funny. Um but like, uh, I was watching Mitch uh, Mitch Ballack yesterday work out, and it's it was kind of interesting. This is more basketball related, but um, he was staying out after the practice was over, getting some extra shots up, and uh, he was shooting twenty five footers, I guess. You know, kind of in transition. Yeah. This kid's a sharpshooter. Like, there is no doubt about it. This kid is a sharpshooter. So, I mean, I don't know how that's going to translate to like percentage in games, but I mean, uh, it's, it's kind of rocky, like, cause this guy can, I mean, he can stroke it. So 
I hope I don't put too many expectations on him, but he's, yeah, he's just really good. Um, so yeah, he's sitting there shooting and it's funny because I'm watching him and he's like getting mad. And I think he's hitting like, you know, he's hitting like five out of seven and he'll like hit four in a row, but like he'll rattle in two or three of them and he'll just get mad at himself and like curse and shake his head and ask for another pass. And like the workout just keeps going and going and going. And I'm just like, so he gets done with it finally, and I'm like, why were you getting so frustrated with yourself? You were making, you know, probably about 80% of them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't like to rattle shots in. I like to hit them clean. So <laughs> apparently it's something he learned during, at the Steph Curry camp. Like Curry, I guess, has this drill where he'll hit. Um, Steph well, Curry's after- good at basketball, right? Yes, very, okay. very, okay. very good. Okay. Only the best shooter in NBA history, depending on your allegiance. Okay. Um, so, yeah, apparently Curry told him about this drill that he does like, after every practice. He likes to hit five free throws in a row, just clean switches, no rim, no nothing. Just That's just how he ends every shooting workout or whatever. So Mitch is a little more – has a little bit more is a little more humble about it. He just said he shoots for tries to hit tries to switch two in a row to end every workout. Um, he said if I tried to hit five, I'd be here for forty five minutes trying to switch five in a row. So, um, but it's just it's it's kind of like a little glimpse inside of his his psyche as far as what he um, strives to be as a shooter because it it wasn't like one of those it didn't feel like he was putting on a show that he thought people were watching him that he was like kind of getting fake frustrated or like it was genuine effort and um, frustration that he was rattling shots in and he didn't like the way they were going in and were coming off of his hand. And the other part of it that was really cool was that he was able to call every, he called every miss or make based on how it came off of his hand. And he was right like every single time. Mm-hmm. So the kid's got a great feel for shooting. Um, and I would be, I, I mean, just it's only been a week and a half, but I mean, he clearly has, you know, pure shooting ability. And I'd be surprised if he's not, you know, next in line to be one of the next great shooters at this, at Creighton. So um, just based on no, his, no his pressure at all. Right. No pressure. We're talking Rocky and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's it, you, you see it. First of all, he's a lefty. So he's unlike any of them right there off the bat. That's awesome. Um, Lindemann. I, I think he'll shoot it better than Lindemann. <laughs> Lindemann was like towing the line. Like Mitch will go a little bit beyond it. So. Okay. Mac, um, Mac, Mac touched on it a little bit when he was talking to you guys when he announced he's coming back. But I, and I think that the recruiting class does get a lot of um, uh, credit for keeping him here. But I think that especially translates to Mitch. I don't think he loves, I don't think Coach McDermott loves any of his recruits more than any others. But I definitely think he's got a connection to Mitch. I mean, he pulled Mitch out of Lawrence, Kansas, um, a KU fan, and I think that he's he sees what you see in him so far. And he, he this is a kid that I think really can contribute from his freshman year on. And you know, I think that um, yeah, Mac would have a hard time leaving that and going to Ohio State. And uh, I just don't know where he gets minutes. Matt, where do you think he finds minutes his freshman year? Yeah, uh, I agree with you. There's definitely – when you look at this team, there's definitely something that they have in common, and that's basically a lot of guards. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see how the playing time shakes out. Um, but with me, with freshmen, I don't really I don't really sweat it too much when they don't play as much in that first year. 
Um, whether they redshirt or whether they just kind of sit the bench and play a role and practice hard. Like, I mean, Kyrie was really struggling and barely saw minutes, you know, especially as the year went on in his freshman year. And I was, and you, you go into the summer and you watch him and the improvements he made. And then you all of a sudden become, you almost see like a different player. And I don't think I, I didn't lose any faith in Kyrie based on limited minutes. He played as a freshman and I saw even more hunger out of him, if anything. So the same thing with Justin. I don't think he liked sitting out his freshman year. And he, him and Kyrie both, I mean, if you think about it, they're both sophomore, they were both sophomores last year. So the jumps they made from one year to the next, based on little to no playing time at all, um, I would say – I would tell everybody to kind of take that approach with a freshman. If you get a freshman to come in at the D1 level, at the Big East level, and be an impact player right away, you kind of struck gold there. Um, otherwise, I'd say be patient and just let them develop. Not really. That's the, that's, that's the thing that bugged me the most about the Davion thing last year was, you know, Maurice Watson goes down and everybody just assumes – um, that Davion should step in and just, you know, not miss a beat, keep the pace up, make the right decisions. And it's like the game is a lot different <laughs> for a freshman coming in. Um, it takes a little adjustment period. So uh, that was my whole thing on, you know, going back to that. I just, I for freshmen, I just kind of give them a little bit of leeway. So this team is really small. The thing I'm noticing a lot is that it's going to be, to get the board, to get rebounding taken care of, it's going to have to be a lot of max effort from a, like pretty much the whole team because there's not really one um, dominant post player that's going to be just you know sucking balls off the glass. So, uh, oh, that sounded bad, but yeah, uh, sounds, we might have to edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely have to edit that one out. Um going to be one of the weaknesses but again having a bunch of guards on the team that can shoot the heck out of the basketball that's also it's one of those things again where Creighton's going to make you have to match up with them as much as they have to match up with you and the winner will be who imposes their will the best so that sounds that's like kind of 20... what I'm seeing so far out of the early workouts yeah I mean that sounds like 2013 2014 shades right I mean exactly Ethan yeah. wasn't out there grabbing a ton of boards and Doug was doing just enough on the glass um obviously grant gibbs and some mm-hmm. of the other uh guards uh, were able to pull some down but yeah i mean you gotta you gotta play with what you got and you gotta find those um those opportunities to ex- exploit matchups and sounds like you know uh the bountiful backcourt that we have um if anything, that's going to make competition just that much stronger, right? These guys are all right. coming in from different levels, different levels of experience, some new to the program, some new to college, some not new to college, whatever. They just they can get out there and they can push each other. Uh, I mean, that sounds cliche, but you're down there at practice. Is that how it happens? Yeah. I mean, for, you know, they only get two hours a week right now, so it's not – it's not going to be the same in the fall. The fall is going to be a lot more intense, obviously. So this is kind of just your little introduction into the – it's it's big for the freshmen because it kind of introduces them to what, you know, life is like as a Division One student athlete because they're taking classes during the day. You know, they're practicing in the afternoon or early evening and um, then finding time to get in the gym and work out on their own. 
because the coaches only get so much time with them during the summer. And obviously for, you know, guys like Mitch and Tyshawn and um, Jacob and, you know, and Manny to an extent that are trying to find roles on this team. I mean, the summer is, it's, it's, it's going to be good for them to kind of show everybody what they got and see where they fit on this, this current group. And um, it's not something that they should take for granted. It doesn't look like they are so far, but you know, we'll see what happens when they get into week seven of it. And, you know, if fatigue starts to get take over or if just the tedious nature of, you know, having a repetitive thing like we're okay, class now, practice now, gym now, open gym now. Like if that starts to, you know, some complacency starts to set in. So we'll see. There's a lot of challenges for freshmen um, at this level of basketball. So you never know kind of from week to week what you're going to get and um, in, in how they develop and maybe when they plateau or if they just keep going from there. So um, right now I'm pretty impressed with, you know, the, the way they work so far. Um, if I were to compare it to, like, Kyrie was a kid as a freshman who was constantly asking questions, and um, you could see him getting frustrated. You could see him, his head kind of spinning a little bit at times during his development, but he was always he was always talking to one coach or the other, whether it was Mac, D-Rock, um, you know, just always asking someone what how to make this better, how to not make that mistake. And, and I'm seeing that out of the – freshmen so far is that whether they're tired or whether they're making mistakes, um, they, they are listening to what needs to be done next time. So they don't make that mistake a habit. And that's something that I think that's good to see out of freshmen. Cause sometimes, you know, in the past you'll get newcomers coming in and they'll kind of let the frustration set in and they won't listen. They'll just shake their head or say, okay, to make the coach be quiet and, you know, I won't name names, but there have been players like that. So, you know, you see the differences in that approach. And I think the thing to be encouraged about with this group is that they seem to want to learn. So that's what I've gathered so far in the first three workouts. Cool. Well, I definitely think I definitely think the coaches were pretty honest with Kobe Paras too and told them, you know, we're bringing in players at the wing spot that are going to push the guys that are already here. And I think Kobe felt that squeeze and – uh probably made the right choice. And that speaks again to the kind of respect and uh, hope that the coaching staff has for some of the incoming freshmen, you know, and, and that's, uh, you know, that that's good to hear is that, uh, like you said, I don't think we should all be anointing some of these freshmen as, you know, Big East, all Big East players their first year. Um, but just the level of player, you know, Creighton's getting in now, a player that could even push somebody like Kyrie. I mean, just, you know, that in itself is, is, is a pretty special, you know, pretty special program, you know, for uh, building what we were from now. So, I mean, and, the, and if you want, if you want something to be encouraged about, I mean, the first, the first two guys on the floor on Monday were after a full day of pretty much babysitting kids all day, 330 kids at this camp that they have starting this week. Um, you know, the first couple of guys on the floor were, you know, Manny, Mitch, and then of course, Kyrie. And then um, the last three guys to leave the gym were Ronnie, Kyrie, and Mitch. So, I mean, Mitch and Kyrie are, you know, they're definitely – I wasn't, you know, using hyperbole when I said gym rats. They love to be in the gym, whether they're playing – whether they're just, you know, playing one-on-one or playing five-on-five or doing open gym or just getting an individual workout in and working on their craft. So that's something that, you know, only speaks to a type of player that wants to get better 
Um, you know, however, how their IQ fits into the system is the next challenge. Mm-hmm. How well they learn the schemes and things like that, but the work ethic seems to be there at the foundation of it all. I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on a couple of the uh, kids that um, Jays fans were hoping would be joining those freshmen and those newcomers uh, this summer and in the fall. Um, since we last podcast, Joey, we've had a couple of our key targets for 2017 late um, come off the board and go to different schools. You want to catch up anybody who hasn't been paying attention to that or just wants a little bit more info on um, kind of how that went down and what that means for Coach Mack's staff and um, in the the immediate future. Yeah, so obviously uh, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you've listened to other podcasts or read lots of articles. Uh, and so there's really not nothing too much new to talk about with Brian Bowen or Tremont Waters, but uh, Waters specifically ended up at LSU. Pretty odd considering uh, – uh, what he was looking for in a school. I don't think that fits in LSU, so I really question that decision uh, from from what I've read and, and whatnot. But uh, he'll probably end up getting playing time there or should should compete for playing time down there. And it does sound like the, the Big East ruling to uh, not allow any Big East team to sign him following him signing an, a letter of intent with Georgetown was upheld. So Creighton's efforts would have been uh, turned down and he wouldn't have been able to come here as is. And uh, I think that probably applies long-term, meaning if he were to uh, transfer from LSU, I'm not sure he would even be eligible to transfer to Creighton without sitting out a couple really? years as well. So, really? Yeah, I think so. That applies to, long-term? I, that, I thought that's what I read. Now, I haven't, I haven't delved that far that into a, it. That's an atrocious rule. I know. Wow. I know. It, it, yeah, that's – I mean, I, I'm not sure – and I, I was reading up on it when this was when Creighton was really, um, from what I've heard, really interested and thought that they could get him. And uh, you know, looking, you know, at him, you know, pretty pretty in depth. Um, and um, my thought is that if if he didn't, uh, at this point, I'm not sure how interested they would be in him if he were to transfer um, from LSU. So I'm not sure that he's got too long term of a career in the Big East after this. I think they've parted ways and. They're pretty happy with that. So, um, and I don't. I'm not sure any other conference has a rule like that. I was kind of looking at some of the other conference rules. And if you get released from your letter of intent from an ACC school or Pac-12, I think you're, you know, you're still up for grabs for some team. If unless you step foot on campus, at that point you have to wait those two years transferring in conference. So, I think Big East needs to take a long, hard look at that rule. I'm not sure it would really hurt Creighton. I think it would help Creighton. Um, I think schools like Georgetown would probably be affected or, you know, the blue bloods in the conference, the Villanova's or the, the Georgetown's or even St. John's with the depth of talent they have in New York, getting those kids to sign early or sign up a lot of a tent during the fall signing period and then end up going somewhere else that would hurt those schools more than it would Creighton. So I'm not sure how much um, motivation those schools might have to change that rule, but something they should look at because it does, it really hurt hurt the player in this situation. You know, he he wanted to go. He he felt he was a Big East type player, and he was pretty much uh, shunned from looking at all, all the schools in that conference because he signed for a coach that got fired, which is pretty, you know, pretty terrible. But I mean, I, I mean, there have, yeah. some, there have been some there have been some there have been some snake in the grass type coaches in the Big East in the past. So 
tampering thing <laughs> that they noticed was going on, and they were like, "We better make a rule so they don't do this to each other." I mean, I can I can understand where that rule comes from. I mean, it comes from a place of let's not steal each other's recruits, let's not take out of each other's cookie jars. I get it, but um, you know, you know, recruiting is way different now than it was five, ten years ago, and so that just seems like an outdated rule at this point. And, yeah. Plus there were circumstances should... there were circumstances surrounding that where it seemed like he him opening his recruitment up was almost just a reaction to what Georgetown decided to do at head coach. Yeah. Um, with firing the guy who recruited him. So I mean for from that perspective, I think almost all freshmen would do the same thing in his position. So to kinda like limit his options that were on the table before that after the fact seems a little strange to me, but Rules are rules, so. Yeah, and I, I'm not even sure Georgetown was, you know, I'm, the fan base, I, I, you know, was not all up in arms with him going to Creighton. Obviously, they wouldn't have loved to have played him twice a year, but, you know, I don't think that the, sc- the school or the fans really, you know, I don't think it's a very popular rule. I don't think people like the idea that once somebody signs a piece of paper, no matter even if they come or not, they can't play in the Big East for another school. It just seems just seems kind of, uh, like I said, an outdated rule, so. That's that was upsetting. Yeah. Too bad. I know the coaches really liked his game and wanted him, but um, thank God it is they, what it is. Thank God they didn't have that rule in the valley when Greg McDermott was hired. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> Let's not even think about changing about the course that. of history yeah, there. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. And then Bowen, obviously. I mean, I don't know what else there is left to say. Um, like I said, I, I mean, the kid has had really. Uh, Little little direction from some of the people that should have been really directing him, and uh, he ends up at a school like Louisville. And I think it's best said that uh, we just pat him on the back, wish him good luck, and uh, maybe we might see uh, you know uh, Brian Bowen in the headlines down the road somewhere. So uh, you know, I know obviously the coaches were upset, but uh, I think they knew the writing was on the wall uh, a couple weeks before he ended up signing for Louisville that he wasn't coming to Creighton. And uh, I think they moved on in their heads. There wasn't lots to move on to uh, this late in the game, <laughs> which was upsetting. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, they're, they're pretty uh, content with how things went. I've heard a lot of national people I just say thought... that it was good for Creighton to be around in the recruitment. I mean, their name was always spoken. It was definitely something that people picked up on toward the end of the recruitment because it was odd and he was a character, you know, and people knew him because of that. So, the fact that Creighton was even mentioned is, you know, some pub, you know, some PR, some pub, and so that's good. But um, they did put a lot of work into him, and so that's just, it was too bad. Yeah, let's yeah. Go, I thought it was funny choose. watching everybody kind of. I thought it was funny watching everybody kind of unfollow Brian Bowen, and I'm like, I never really started following him, so I'm not that. I was good, so. It was cathartic. Just one of those things where I. Yeah. <laughs> what's uh it's probably like a good release what's got you all the, uh, yeah it is well, all the twitter tension what's <laughs> what's got you excited on the recruiting trail joey i know you said it's a little quiet this time um and we're still waiting on some information about some about the umass duo uh but but what gets you what gets your uh recruiting engine going this time of year Anything? yeah i mean yeah, I think there's definitely besides soccer. Uh, how did you not? How did you not say gravy train there? Of all the talk of gravy this whole know, time, man. you didn't even go with. That was an easy cliche to go with. You didn't like even a, use it. 
It's like 100 degrees with 90% humidity. Gravy does not sound good right now. It does not. Ice cream <laughs> sounds better. <laughs> Ice cream, baby. You mentioned soccer, so baby. I would be remiss. If you haven't gone and watched Michael Bradley score against Mexico the other night, you got to go to YouTube and watch that clip because – I've seen he, it. What's the big deal? You know, like he, what's the... <laughs> he chipped the goalie in Mexico's Fortress Stadium. I mean, that was like an all-time sports <laughs> memory for me. That's just unbelievable. I mean – Charlie Lloyd did that from like midfield in like the World Cup final. Yeah, and, was, like... and that, yeah, and that was amazing too. That was amazing. But I mean, to do it th- that much tension, that was a baller play. So moving on, uh, moving on. Moving on. The, Sponsored the by duo. American Outlaws. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> no, but there's there's lots of smoke around the UMass kids. Uh, I you know Creighton's waiting on a couple grades. Uh, from, uh, There's a lot from of smoke them. in Lincoln around Nebraska football, too, from what I hear. <laughs> Not that kind of smoke. but uh, That's good. Yeah, I mean, Cray- Creighton likes where they stand with uh, Gresham and Drew. I think that they will, uh, um, if, if able to, Creighton will land those kids, and uh, they'll add a lot to the team. I do think that they're, they're, they're two perfect position players um, for three years, sitting out a year to really work on their game. Uh, obviously, it'd be nice to have some extra reinforcements in the, on the front line uh, for this year. Uh, but again, there's just nothing good left out there for Creighton to turn down the kind of talent that those two have. So if if they're able to, I think Creighton will sign those two. They've re-released a final three of Seton Hall, Georgetown, and Creighton. New team of for which, them. Of which Seton Hall has no chance of getting. So Seton Hall's got no scholarships open currently. Um, they could open up, but I doubt it. <laughs> Right. Uh, Seton Hall has been on them in the past too, but again, I don't see them as serious players. Georgetown has scholarships to open; they have three left. However, right. if you're if you're worried about getting into Creighton academically, I, I would imagine that you're going to have some trouble getting into Georgetown. So, my thought is that yep. Creighton is in excellent shape with these two. If if able, they will sign these two. I think that um, you know they are uh, as good of a consolation as you could have after missing on Bowen and, and, and Waters. Having said that, you have, they have to sit out a year, but you're getting, two, three, you're getting two guys to play three years at positions of need coming up. Um, and I just think that that's, you know, again, a credit to the staff developing long-term relationships and keeping those relationships with players uh, in case things came up. And, you know, UMass's coaches got fired, uh, and, and I'm sure that the Creighton coaching staff, when they announced their intention to transfer – uh, we're one of the first people to call. And so that's, um, and you know, that that's uh, watching what Mac did to a uh, Big Ten school, I think speaks volumes to those guys that Creighton's a legitimate spot to be. And uh, I think we were in really good shape with those guys. So, and then in July, the recruiting period for 2018, 2019 opens up. Creighton's on a lot of pretty good kids for that. And it, a lot, a little bit will depend on if they're able to land uh, UMass uh the UMass kids, then uh, that might alter what they what they're going and looking for long term. Um, but I think they have their top targets for that class, and uh, I think they'll hone in on those guys uh, in July. What about one of our freshmen oh, left? Um, are you guys paying much attention to these mock drafts, these interviews, these profiles? People are writing about Justin Patton right now. We're uh, with the NBA Finals done. The next big. Um, date on that league's calendar is the draft coming up what are you guys hearing if anything about where justin uh what teams like justin enough to to maybe take him uh in the lottery 
Well, I think it's kind of weird because I've never really seen. I don't. I don't. Maybe it's. Maybe it's not weird. But I don't really remember all these player profiles being done by individual teams before. That seems like odd to me. I don't know why I don't think that's ever happened before. But I mean, everybody's kind of writing them up, like the Kings, the Nuggets, and all this stuff. So it's strange, but. I'm not really sure. I mean, I think uh, I think we talked about it last time that obviously the combine um, did not go combine, well. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't seem like it went well. His measurements weren't great. Um, his vertical wasn't great. Uh, but I didn't really hear much um, negative feedback from that. And then um, just in talking to some of the coaches about it, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal either. So I think people pretty much know what they're kind of hoping for with Justin and the strengths and the weaknesses and things like that. So maybe the combine wasn't that big of a surprise. Um, it, it just was surprising to me, but uh, yeah, I mean, I still think he's kind of like mid to late first round. I think maybe the possibility of him slipping out of the first round is stronger, I guess now um, based on that stuff. Cause you kind of see that out of people like, if they they'll they kind of will talk themselves out of not drafting somebody, um, that's kind of like the story of how guys end up falling. So I think if you were to try to like map out the draft, and this is just my opinion, if you were looking for guys who could potentially be candidates to fall, you know, guys who aren't necessarily surefire prospects or don't fit in with teams that are looking for bigs or versatile bigs or guys with his skills kind of in the middle to late first round. You could, I could see him being one of the stronger candidates for a draft fall a little bit, you know, to kind of slip away. But then again, the, the glass half full part of that is the deeper he falls, the better the teams get, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, whether while it might not be great for his bank account for the first contract, if he falls, he'll be falling into a good situation the lower he gets. So basically I'm going into next Thursday night. I think it is uh, June 22nd. Um, Basically hoping he gets past Chicago and that's everything else is gravy or ice cream after that. Cause I don't want the bulls front office touching him, touching any more Creighton players. I've had enough of that already. They don't know what they're doing. Right. Um, what about so that's basically all I'm looking forward to. What about gravy flavored ice cream? Would that would that trip your trigger? That's what's your favorite? Sounds gross. Is, let's is do this. Let's let's focus here. This is summertime. I need your okay. favorite ice cream flavor. If you're on death row and they tell you you get one scoop of ice cream before they do whatever they're gonna do to you, what do you choose? Mine mine's more of a classic. I think cookies and cream. So okay, that's legit. That's always been my go-to since I was. That was a kid. This is my go-to. So, Joey. I mean, Matt and I must be deeply connected on a deep, like, soul-to-soul level because I would say cookies and cream as well. Wow, I it's like the this. Italian Look thing, man. This. I tell you, man. Yeah. Just, Look at this. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Hey, before what do you we like, move Rocky on? Road? What? Rocky Road or something or what? Uh, yeah, dude, that is Rocky Road. Good job. How'd you get that? Is it really? Oh yeah. That was my brother's favorite ice cream when he was a kid. Like we had the Rocky Road cookies and cream battle. So, oh dude, Rocky Road for days. Nice. Anything with marshmallow, I can pretty much handle. So. <laughs> it, uh, marshmallow and ice cream trips me out. It's like like the texture doesn't match up to me, so I can't do it. I hear you. 
Hey, how about so how about Mark? Hey, Matt, have they talked to Martin about making the Slovenian national team? Have you heard about this? That he's like on their shortlist for their camp. He's the only college player on their roster to make that national team, and they got some studs in Slovenia. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting and kind of low key. I mean, obviously, they're keeping tabs on him, and they must think that he's got some potential if they're calling him up to their national camp. So, it definitely. Yeah, it definitely has been low-key because I haven't heard much chatter about it. Um, obviously, I'm just kind of letting it play out before I really dig into it. But because um, they're, you know, they just got to camp now. So they're, you know, they're in their – they're just starting their summer workouts and they're also working with the little kids at camp. So yeah, um, I was kind of not ready to touch that one yet. We'll see how it develops. But uh, I think, you know, as far as – I mean, that would be a great opportunity for him. It can't hurt his development to kind of work with those guys. So. I mean, they're you all know, pros on their camp. They're yeah. all, they all play professional. And so I just thought it was odd that, you know, they're bringing in a kid that plays sparingly in college and is, a, you know, a junior. I just thought that was a interesting call-up, we'll say, for that mm-hmm. pro- program. I just thought that was kind of out of left field. If I mean, I, I would figure there would be better prospects, you know, pro prospects. But, um, you know, that says something about Martin's development, I guess. Yeah, and it's not new to Creighton either. I mean, Doug went – Obviously, with Team USA, Echenique yeah. was always going with Venezuela in the summer. So, um, it's yeah, it's probably, you know, I mean, the coaches are well-connected. And, uh, you know, as far as getting guys, um, they don't have the – the players don't have contacts with the pros, scouts, and things like that. But, you know, certainly the coaches are constantly getting feedback and, you know, scouts are inquiring and things like that. So, you know, I know Kyrie's starting to get on some radars too. So, um and maybe it's a product of something like that, or I don't know. But yeah, it'd be an interesting opportunity if he's if that's something he decides to take take up on. Okay, let's still think about ice talking, cream, right? No, let's talk still about, about stuff that we're going to keep going down the road of things that didn't work out for the Jays. Right? We kept our head basketball coach. That's great. Sounds like these newcomers to the men's basketball team are cutting their teeth at the championship center. Then we started to go. I think volleyball is. Volleyball's got a new recruit since we last talked, I think, right? Dude. Yeah. Coach Booth is just – Carrie. So, I think they went out on the road. I think they went back on the road. Man, when was it? Just the beginning of this month, I think. Maybe the end of May, somewhere around there. And then this kid committed, like, a, the very first day. Um, I guess they you, offered, like, a couple – Wouldn't you, Matt? I mean, this program is just fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Wait till you guys see the DJ Sokol Arena next year. It's going to be crazy looking. They're already they already got the new paint up and everything like that. It's going to be much bluer, much bluer, <laughs> less less white. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen the designs for that, but they're it's under construction right now, so it's going to look cool. Um, but yeah, I think uh, her name is Carrie Zumach. I think I'm saying the last name right. Um, her sister plays for Kansas State and. If you remember the Kansas State Creighton match last year, she was the one getting all the kills for K State. So she's oh. really good. Yeah, our sister Kylie. Um, she was the Big Twelve Freshman of the Year in 2014, I believe. So the pedigree wow. is there. She's not, and uh, Carrie's not quite as big as Kylie is, like physically filled out. But she's, you know, really tall. Um, and she's joining that class of. Annika Welty, Jayla Zimmerman, and Keely Davis, that 2018 class. And, um, 
you know, something that I think the the coaches seem to be really excited about that that recruiting class. They obviously can't talk on the record about it yet since it's not signed, but um, apparently there's some studs in that class that, um, you know, they really like Jayla Zimmerman especially. Um, she seems like she's kind of cut from the same cloth, that, cloth as Jaylee as far as competitiveness and, you know, just like a determination. So, um, yeah, they seem to be still rolling on into 2018 and working on 20. I think they already have one 2019 commit. So, um, yeah, wow. they're, getting, they're, they're rolling. So it's not quiet on the volleyball front, but no one wants to know about the volleyball front. But everybody's like, what's Mac doing? And I'm like, well, I don't know. But Booth's got like two more commits since you typed that t- tweet. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You want to know about that? You should have but, kept the yeah. Positive. So next year should be is, is lining up pretty good. You should have kept the positive for after my next uh, oh, my next sorry. segment here, right? Because I was trying to get all the bad stuff out of the way, and I mean, it, you know, it kind of is what it is. But um, after winning their first game in the Big East tournament at TD Ameritrade Park, where they were hosting the event, uh, Ed Services Blue Jays unable to advance to the Big East Tournament Championship game, unable to win the league's automatic bid to the NCAA Tournament. Their season ends short of the NCAA Tournament yet again. I know that we have an interview with uh, Assistant Coach Wallace here coming up, Matt, but um, maybe break down for Joey and I and the listeners at home kind of how things went from that really big first game win at TD Meritrade in the tournament through the rest of that weekend? Well, I mean, if you're a little bit familiar with the Creighton and the Big East tournament's history, you know that, that they've played Seton Hall a lot and they haven't lost to them. So that explains game one. They played <laughs> Seton Hall again and they won. <laughs> I think that is, yeah, they're 5-0 and against Seton Hall in Big East tournament play and they've only been in the league four years. So that kind of lets you know <laughs> That kind of lets you know what they've done to Seton Hall there. Um, Xavier, on the other hand, and St. John's, on the other hand, not quite as much success. I think they're two and seven combined against those two teams in the Big East tournament. So that was, those were the uphill battles. And you know, the Xavier game was interesting. It was kind of uh, a roller coaster. Um, you know, Xavier jumped on out to a lead first. Um, then Michael Lamodi hit one to Council Bluffs and gave Creighton the lead. And then Xavier put up a huge inning like they do because their offense is legit. And Creighton just tried to keep catch up, but just fell one run short in the end. So I think they had the tying run on base in the eighth and ninth and just couldn't get it across. Um, and they fell into the loser's bracket. And, you know, it, it honestly came down to starting pitching just wasn't, you know, Raleigh Lacey was really good against Seton Hall, but Keith Regala was – who normally is really good against Xavier. So I understand the shakeup there. He's normally the number three starter. They moved him up to number two against Xavier because his career ERA against the Musketeers is like, was like 0.64 coming in, in like three starts and, you know, and one at TD Ameritrade park where he absolutely shut him down. One of his best starts of his career. So they were, I think that was kind of what was going into the thought process. Um, but he just didn't have it. And, uh, you know, after that third inning kind of unraveled a little bit. And then Jeff Albrecht, who's kind of really been really struggled down the stretch, which is too bad because that was his senior year. So um, it was tough to kind of see him not really be himself the last, you know, three or four starts of the season. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, St. John's just was, 
they were a hungry, they were a desperate team because they kind of saw their season, which was really strong, slipping away. Uh, you know, they had a really strong non-conference, um, some good wins over North Carolina and Coastal Carolina. You know, they had nine losses coming into the conference tournament. But at the same time, they didn't really feel all that confident about their chances of getting in that large. So they felt like if they didn't make it to the championship Sunday, they were in trouble. So they came out with the desperation accordingly. And Creighton didn't, and they just jumped all over him. It was never really a game. So um, tough way for guys like David Gerber, who pitched really well against St. John's that day. You know, he got his final um, his final outing as a Creighton Blue Jay. Walked off the mound as, you know, and Ed Service came out and gave him a hug, which is not very Ed Service-like. Right. So a cool little display of emotion, just kind of like a tip of the cap to what David Gerber has meant as far as a guy who went from – you know, a walk-on to not being on the travel roster to end up, you know, ends his career as the all-time saves leader and the all-time ERA leader. So, um, in program history, so it was kind of tough to see that uh, him end his career that way. But also, you know, one of the one of the careers that'll be talked about a lot in Creighton in Creighton lore as far as making something out of what is perceived to be nothing. So changing the arm slot and things like that, his story has been well told. So mm-hmm. that's kind of just how the season went. And then, you know, St. John's and Xavier played a pretty good game the next day for the championship, which Xavier obviously won. And both teams got in St. John's went to a barbecue to prove they probably didn't deserve to be in. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. It was interesting because they had a really bad strength of schedule as far as non-conference goes. And it was wondering, I was wondering if that was going to, keep them out or not because the committee is usually really a stickler about non-conference strength of schedule and things like that. But they gave St. John's a chance and it didn't work out. So, um, But Xavier pushed Louisville that game where they got eliminated. I think they lost 8-7 to Louisville and Louisville is a team that I think can win the whole thing this, you know, here in Omaha. So we'll see what how that shakes out. But. Yeah, and you mentioned Xavier's offense is the real deal. Man, they put some runs up in their – uh, in their regional as well. So every time mm-hmm. I looked up, it seemed like they were hanging a crooked number uh, on the bases loaded uh, coverage that Matt Schick and those guys do such a good job of on ESPN. But man, that sets right. up for a nice little discussion here. We got a nice eight team field in the 2017 College World Series, Matt. I know you're planning to be down there for uh, as much of it as possible. What are you looking forward to the most? Uh, aside from just the uh, pomp and circumstance of Omaha's big two-week kind of national showcase in the sports world. Yeah, Brian, I know you're from um, Omaha. Joey, are you from Omaha? Grew up here? I was born here, but I lived in Southern California for most of my life before coming back to school here. So that'd be a a giant negative. Um, I like how he lived when I was born here to get like the the, the street cred. (laughs) But like I was born here, but no, I left. I mean, I I want I want to, I want to desperately get into the College World Series like you guys do. I just can't do it. I don't know. Okay, I just I just I well, and down there I've got tickets. I just I I don't have it yet. So hopefully I'll get it at some point. Okay. Fair I'm enough. So sorry. Um, yeah. Sorry. Soccer, I mean, soccer, yeah, so, so, going on. Yeah. There you go. You're worried about USA Mexico friendlies. Um, no, that, that was not a friendly, my friend. That was a qualifying game. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did they qualify? Okay. Not so, yet. yeah, I mean, not working out. Um, I think this is one of the best fields I can remember. Um, 
I've been going to College World Series games since maybe mid '90s, maybe a little early '90s, I guess. And I mean, the 2011, field, I field. think, was a pretty good field. Yeah, the field that this reminds me of is the last year at Rosenblatt, and okay, you had, I mean, that I just I feel like so many of those games were competitive, and the field just top to bottom was was really strong. I I look at this field and I say to myself, like everybody likes to have the Stony Brooks or the Coastal Carolinas. Obviously, they made the most of their time in Omaha last year. Right, but for the casual fan that wants yep. to see competitive games, uh, the type of field that you have now, where it's the a bunch of the perennial powers, and then some of this like new, you know, within the last ten years, new age powers, sort of, right? It's like the teams that are like, yeah, like Oregon State yeah. is phenomenal, and what they did to get to Omaha with all of the kind of uh, roster upheaval, uh, yeah. as I'll say in a kind of a uh, politically correct way. Um, sure. I mean, they didn't miss a beat, right? No. Is they it normal not... for a team to lose four games? I mean, they lost four yeah, games no. all year. That yeah, seems so ridiculous. Talk about, I, I know this is a Creighton podcast, but Oregon State is coming into Omaha with a 54-4 and record. Now, it's not the best record to ever come to Omaha or the best winning percentage, but I mean, in, the, in this day and age where there's so much parody in college baseball, fifty-four and four is insane. I right. mean, that's insane. Like, and Rich Wallace and I talk about it on the on the interview we'll have later because we're just like we we kind of just get astounded by the fact that Oregon State is in Omaha at fifty-four and four. The fact that they had their number one starter pitcher in the country, not just their ace, but like probably the ace of the entire nation. Um, obviously had some major legal issues that came to light. And then he removed himself during the in order super not to be... regional. Yeah. During the, during regional play. And they, and they still beat everybody's brains in, including a really good Vanderbilt team. And we're in control from first inning on hardly faced any adversity on the field itself. Um, and they're just rolling into Omaha. And I don't think, I think in this day and age, especially with as much parody as there is in the game, you know, it's 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 the equivalent of someone going undefeated in basketball. I mean, that's as best as I can equate it to because fifty four and four, where you're playing in the Pac twelve, first of all, right? Um, you're playing a couple midweek games a week. I mean, you don't have to be. You can be the best team in the country and still lose like 10, 12 games a year. I mean, sure. for them to go fifty four and four, that's an insane stat to me. I don't think it's getting talked about nearly enough, especially in this day and age. Well, the two stats that stand out for me about them, which quickly this has become an Oregon state podcast, which is fine, whatever. Uh, at least we have a baseball team to talk about right now, this late into, uh, into June. But, um, the fact that I think their entire staff did I hear this correctly? That their entire staff has a sub two ERA. Was that yeah, them? They have a sub two team. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. And Isn't that, have think you ever heard this. of such a thing? No, I never have. And think about this too. Let's say they don't win this thing, right? And they lose two games in Omaha. <laughs> They'll have only lost six games all season. That's all season. insane. Yeah. They'll have lost six yeah. games all season and not won the national championship. That's just right. 
crazy talk. So anyway, Joey's I mean, falling asleep. Crazy. I don't know. That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're putting him, we're putting him to bed. It's late anyway. Um, no, I'm, I'm just watching soccer clips over and over <laughs> as you guys talk. Oh my God. Uh, so I mean, like, so Oregon State's playing Cal State Fullerton to start it off um, in the afternoon game, and then the nightcap on that first day is LSU Florida State. Hello, like you might as I well mean, that's going to be barbecuing now. I mean, holy smokes, that crowd is going to be that crowd's going to be legit. Joey, if you're curious about like which two fan bases you need to hang around with this weekend. That first game on Saturday night is where you need to be right there. If you don't fall in love with the College World Series after that one, then it's just not made for you. I'm well-versed with the LSU fans. We, we watch soccer at Barrett's, and that's the uh, LSU hangout. So I've, I've bumped elbows with a number of LSU fans there, watching soccer on one TV and baseball on the other TV at Barrett's. Are there uh, – Yeah, and, I, and now you guys talk about Tremont Waters with them, and you guys can have a good conversation. <laughs> I'll, I'll tap my, tip my hat and wish them good luck with that. No, dude, they'll be like. Hey, I, I thought it was funny though, because you remember. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, remember a couple of years ago when uh, Ole Miss was in the College World Series and they stole a Husker football recruit during the weekend. Remember that? Yeah. So guess which two? So two teams in Omaha are LSU and Louisville, who happen to have Brian Bowen oh, and Trayvon Waters. I'm just yeah. saying, it's not done yet. I don't remember any LOIs being signed. So, you know, this is <laughs> like one last chance for Creighton coaching staff to kind of swoop in and get them there. How awesome! Uh, How awesome! College baseball product. If Bowen showed up to watch the college rules, because everybody would know he was there because of his hair, and he probably would oh rock some, like sweet Louisville gear, just to like rub that salt in a little bit. The wound. <sighs> Sorry, see, I had to go there. I had to go negative. Um, it's okay. Before this gets off the rails a little bit, I do want to bring it back. Uh, we've got a because we got what Matt almost forty-five minute sit down intensive baseball heavy. Uh, interview with rich wallace from the creighton baseball program do you want to set the stage for us there a little bit sure so uh i sat with down with him this afternoon um and i think it's actually a pretty interesting interview if you're ever kind of curious about what the life of a college baseball recruiting coordinator is like especially around this time of year because as you know the mlb draft is going on right now um, I think they're at least 10 rounds in, if not 15 at this point. So, um, but for a recruiting coordinator, you know, you're, you're kind of draft eligible at two or three times in your career before your career college career is over one as a freshman. Um, another time, if you go to a JUCO and then sign with a D1 school, you're also draft eligible at a JUCO. And then the other time you're draft eligible is after three years out of high school. Um, you're draft eligible whether you return or not. So for a recruiting coordinator who they've pretty much got their class filled out at this point. So now what they do is they pretty much sit in front of the computer and pull their hair out of their head, hoping that um, <laughs> the kids that they do have signed up coming back next year aren't highly drafted and leave them. Like he talks about in this interview, having recruiting classes at other programs where they've been top five nationally and they'll lose like 12 kids in the draft and then all of a sudden have to start from scratch. So we kind of get into the nitty gritty of what the contingency plans are for an assistant coach going through something like that if they lose a bunch of kids in the draft. Um, and Creighton does have a few candidates. Obviously, currently on the roster, Raleigh Lacey, Keith Regala are guys you expect not to return next year. Um, they're upperclassmen. They're going to get drafted. Uh, so that kind of hinders the rotation a little bit. And then Michael Lamodi, who had a really breakout year at catcher, is also 
three years out of high school, so he's draft eligible. So that's another one they're kind of keeping an eye on to see where he goes, if he goes at all. Um, and there's like, I think there's four incoming recruits that they're kind of keeping an eye on um, to see where, where, if they go anywhere and if that kind of um, sets into motion their backup plans as far as that goes. And I also, you know, we also talk about what it's like for a recruit in that position because obviously Creighton has reached out to guys being proactive and they say, look, um, they'll go to Juco guys or they'll go to freshmen. Like, look, I know you don't got a school. I know you're still deciding um, as far as maybe fitting in here. You know, we only really have a spot for you if this happens as far as the draft goes. So, I'll, so there's some kids out there that are kind of dangling on the line right now. And it sounds a little like unfair to the kid, but I mean, that's just kind of how the game goes because of when the draft falls. So, you know, you'll see down kids down in the SEC, coaches will constantly over-sign classes, and then if kids don't get drafted or if kids come back, then they'll, you know, say, well, sorry, kid, we don't have a spot for you anymore because this guy came back. So we just kind of get into that world a little bit, um, and then we break down the CWS field. So it's a pretty interesting conversation because you kind of get a look into what it's like for a recruiting coordinator to have to deal with all that. And then another interesting thing that we talk about is how he sells Creighton to recruits. And I think people are going to be surprised where um, the play at the home of the College World Series pitch falls on that list of what they sell for Creighton. I was surprised. So I think other people will be surprised too. I mean, you would think – I'm assuming you guys would think that would be a high priority, right? Maybe one of the top two or three things they list. I mean, think so? Joey might not, but yeah, I I, do. I, I would say that's gotta be. Well, I mean, those, that's gotta be. I would think that'd be the first thing that you would sell. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, not even not even close. Is so I thought mili- that was interesting. Military Appreciation Day. <laughs> it's wild horses running loose on the field that might trample you to death. Um, Bring the little kid no. Omaha Public Schools Day. Oh my God, kids! Day. Why did you? Just, I got a headache Sorry. now. Um, that's okay. I can, so uh, I can yeah, I mean, it, I'm. Go ahead. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, so I, I'm, I was surprised at where TD Ameritrade Park fell on his list of how he sells Creighton to recruits. So I think everybody will be surprised as far as because you pretty much laid out the the pitch uh, for me. Um, so I think you'll be it'll it'll be interesting to see how he recruits kids to Creighton. Um, because I was kind of surprised where TD Ameritrade Park fell on that list of things. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and listen. This is Matt DeMarinas talking with Creighton Baseball Assistant Coach and Recruit Coordinator Rich Wallace on the Blue Jays by its podcast sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Okay, we're here with a, for another episode of the Blue Jay Bites podcast, um, exclusive interview with Creighton assistant coach Rich Wallace, Creighton baseball assistant coach, I should elaborate that, we cover all sports. Um, we're going to talk a little College World Series today, we're going to talk some MLB draft, because Rich is currently scrolling through his laptop watching to see if uh, any of his recruits get picked, any of his current players get picked, and... He still has enough hair to call it a full <laughs> head of hair, but uh, obviously it's a time where... For you guys, like this is considered your off season. You're not playing anymore, but I mean, you're still pretty busy as far as seeing who who goes, what their projectability is of staying yeah. in the draft, signability, all that kind of stuff. So I guess, what's this day, this day and a half been like for you so far, watching? You well, know, the, as the, it goes, this whole month of June is kind of uh, assistant baseball coach's nightmare. Um, 
with the draft, with making sure kids get into school. And it's just your roster feels like it's in flux. You work for, you know, sometimes over a year to put a class together, and within the next 48 hours, it can get torn apart. Exactly. So, I mean, I've been places where we had the number five recruiting class in the country, and look at it, and we lost 12 guys in a matter of two Ugh. hours. So, uh, I don't think we're in that situation here. I think we got some guys that have a chance to get drafted, but hopefully not high enough that they won't come here. So, um, obviously, we're anticipating that Keith and Raleigh, those guys are going to get picked pretty high. So, um, at least for them. And being a junior, you know, when you get the money, they probably right. have some decisions to make. So, What's it like, I mean, take us inside the mind of a coaching staff, too, when, like you say, you put a recruiting class together, you announce it, these are our signees, everybody, and then this day comes and you kind of have to, like, you know, you're biting your nails and pulling your hair out. And then when it gets torn apart like that, What's the contingency yeah. plan? I mean, well, so like for us, we've been, as it goes along, you're at certain points of the year, and you're like, okay, we don't think so, but there's a chance, and then all of a sudden you get halfway through the season, like, we might not get this guy, so we got to start working on, hey, what's plan B if we don't? Mm-hmm. And then you got to kind of recruit those guys, and unfortunately you end up keeping some of them, you know, sitting out there, but they, you just, from us, we just be honest with them until, hey, this is where we're at, we love you, we just got to get through the draft and see what happens. Right. So you got a lot of junior college guys that are sitting around the next two days wondering, okay, these are my options, but my options might increase here in the next day and a half. Yeah, right. Um, For a player, what's it like? I mean, when you communicate that to a player, because obviously, you know, more and more in recruiting, and certainly in different sports, I'm assuming players want to be shown high priority, and that would be like more where they lean. Well, so and, how do you balance I, that? I think that just depends on what type of program you're running. Coach runs a program that's pretty straightforward, obviously. Um, he puts the kids first as far as what he's trying to do. There's some programs out there, and I won't name names, but it's, sure. you can do it, where they think they're going to lose a guy, so they just sign over the top of them. And if they don't lose the guy, then they got a decision to make. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the honest part of it is the team doesn't suffer. The team's probably going to be really good, but the kids one of the kids yeah. might not end up showing up. And, and So we tell them, hey, this is the way we run things. You know, we, we're not going to offer money until we know we have money. Um kind of that way so that's just the way we do it um, what what have you noticed in the scholarship allotment of I mean just throughout your time obviously some schools will make different priorities for different kids and things like that what have you noticed here in your time at Creighton versus you know where you've been previously as far as how to evaluate a talent a prospect and then say okay how much can we offer him is it kind of a negotiation process too uh, we, try, we try not to let it be okay um but we have to sometimes we, – we, they do a lot of good things with us with the scholarship money and the academic money here, but it's not to the level of some of the other. I mean, some places that you can read some newspaper articles on, yeah. they got – it's basically unlimited, and they just figure it out later, and the financial aid's through the roof. Um, here we got to make a decision on some academic kids that can actually do the stuff in the classroom that allow them to get money other ways mm-hmm. that, that soften the blow because it's – Eleven seven baseball money. It's yeah, it's a lot to cover on a guy that if you get fifty percent to and he doesn't have it, then in our place he's got to come up with the other half. Right. And if he's looking, it's different. If you're looking at it for one or two years, you're looking at it for four years. I mean, you got to be able to do that. So for us, I think the thing that gets us is hopefully we can find the guys that have the right talent mix that can get some academic help as well, um, kind of, and then mix and match from there. Do you find that they're pretty open about? That sort of thing. When you're telling a kid, maybe 
this is how much athletic funding we can give you, but there's also opportunities academically. Yeah, and 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 I, you find well, there's a good back and forth. What thing. you'll see in baseball, and this is why some of those other schools have advantage, nobody really, the parents, for the most part, don't get caught up in what percentage baseball or other funds are coming. They just want to know how much is it going to cost. Exactly. So, just, yeah, straight to <laughs> So they, they want to know, how much do I have to pay? Can I afford it? And then we'll make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that's the difficulty of a private school, but they do a lot of horse here at the university that, that helps with that. So, I mean, I've been places before where it was just baseball money and they couldn't help any other way. So, really? Mm-hmm. Now that's a nightmare. <laughs> yes, I met, imagine them surprised you have a lot, and, that. And there's, and there's a lot of places like that. So we're we're blessed and fortunate that Creighton helps us out the way they do. Yes, um, I guess draft specific, we're obviously Raleigh Lacey, Keith Regal are the guys that we know um, will probably be selected and probably have a good chance to go. Um, Michael Lamotti's another kid who's draft mm-hmm. eligible Correct. right now. Had a great year. I think actually we should, we should give you some credit because in the fall, uh, for our listeners out there, Rich and I were talking as they were going through BP and just kind of evaluating the team and. Rich said eight home runs for Modi this year. I think he ended up with nine. He did. I'll take the extra one. So, okay, yeah, yeah. a little extra credit for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you were spot on with your your projection there. And you do coach, um, you do develop the catchers, too. Correct. So, I mean, before we get into the draft of those three, the projectability, what did you see out of Modi and his development this year and his coachability and kind of what he took to you, yeah, your he, tutelage? He's, he's actually been here because he came here this Spring of his freshman year, but couldn't play. Yeah, well, uh, Glenn and I go back and forth on that because yeah. I saw him in your scrimmage. Correct. I knew his name. I saw him, obviously, Correct. a big body. And so then the Glenn told he, me he doesn't exist. So, yeah, yeah, so he was there for the three weeks before opening day. And right. We had to take him off the roster. And that's just the NCAA rules about yep. it. And from the day, first day I saw him, I saw how athletic he was. I saw arm strength, but it was a little raw. And then the other thing I saw was a kid that was a really hard worker. So in my mind, there was no doubt that he was going to do what he did and then hopefully can keep continuing because that kid, I mean, it's, it's a lunch pail type mentality for him. That kid, as soon as he walks down the door right there, walks down those stairs, he's, he's going to work today and trying mm-hmm. to find a way to get better. Um, and the other thing he does that's tough for these kids is not only does he do that to himself, I think he pushes everybody else too. I mean, if anybody's going to bring energy at practice, it's going to be him and he's going to show you the way, which is really, really hard to do when you're trying to do so many things to better yourself, too. Mm-hmm. But this year, that's the biggest jump. Because his last year, he was so focused on getting better, but that's all he was really worried about. He could, wasn't mature enough at that age, no, no freshman really is, yes. to put that into his teammates. Now he's starting to put it into his teammates, and I think you've seen that translate his performance, where he's less worried about what Mike's doing, more worried about just playing as hard as he can, taking care of his teammates, and letting his work speak for himself. Because I told him, we talk all the time is you should have no anxiety because he is prepared. I mean, mm-hmm. anxiety and fears for the guys that aren't prepared because Mike's good enough and he puts in the work. So let whatever happens happen. I think he started to do that and kind of let that natural. But I think there's just a whole other level he can go to. Too. One thing that seems kind of interesting about him is that, um, you know, we talked about it during the season about, you know, should he get a day off here? Can he handle a load? Because that's not an easy thing to be catching every day no. like that. And he did it. Not only that, but I mean, he probably hit the two longest balls he's ever hit. At the end. At the end. So it yeah. looked like he was still fresh. I mean, yeah. what does that say about just, like, his, again, more to his preparation, his physical abilities, but also his professional um, projectability, considering that, you know, obviously the seasons are very much longer at the pro level. Correct. And most of the time what people talk about with 
and pro guys with catchers is that college catchers don't catch all the time and they don't call their own game. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike has some freedom inside the call in the game for us where he can you know suggest things and do that stuff. I could see that growing this following year. And the other part is he can play every day. I mean, he's a physical freak. You could go over there and ask Brad. I mean, it's special stuff. I mean, he was had a chance to go to Nebraska play some football. So mm-hmm. he's he's a different level of physical. Um, so I think if I'm a pro guy, eventually I'm going. That's a, he's a lunch pail guy. I mean, he'll yeah. show up every day and he'll work and bring energy. And I'm just hoping you know we get him back because I think he wants to come back. So I, I hate specific comps, so I'm not going to ask you to compare him to a player that you've coached in the past. And I obviously know you've coached some really good ones. Um, but, I mean, when you look at his tools, mm-hmm. do you see a guy that if he doesn't make it to the big leagues, you'll be surprised? I mean, I know it's not easy, but, I mean, you see uh, yeah, his ability, I'm, his work ethic, and those things. To me, I think if if he made it to the big leagues, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Just because, I mean, you go through and look at, I mean, look at all the catchers we saw this year. I'd take him as high as anybody we saw or mm-hmm. more. Um and he's got real power, and the way the game's being played now, there's guys up in the big leagues hitting 220 with 20 homers. I think if, if Mike would have said, I don't care if I hit 270 or 215, which he does, yeah, he could probably could hit 15 home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he decided to be an all-around hitter, and I think that's – if he hits 300 with 10-plus next year, I wouldn't – I mean, I was like, man, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so a guy that's that physical can throw, can really receive um, – he, can, he obviously he can get better at it, but he can. He's got really good hands. He's a really good blocker. I mean, how valuable is it to have a leader from that position? Huge. I mean, catcher. That seems like the quarterback of the baseball field. I mean, he it's can the, communicate with the pitchers, the defense, the only, everybody. Only positional field where everybody's looking at him the whole time. Right. Everybody on the team that's playing defense is staring at him. Um, so when you got a guy back there that can lead, it's for us like having a coach on the field to get out of the way, mm-hmm. um, and that works better like that for me. I mean, we teach him what we want, we tell him what we want, but then he ultimately feeds through that stuff and kind of comes up with what he wants to do and then takes off. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does in the fall with this team because there's some, there's some players out there that are talented, but they're also it's the same way. Even though they're older, they still haven't done it here before. Mm-hmm. He knows the system like the back of his hand. Um, he can run practice if we need him to. Right, right, yeah. Um, so that's huge for us. And for Raleigh and Keith, um, obviously the guys that we th- – think of throwing that last pitch at Creighton just because of how good of the years they had and mm-hmm. what the scouts have been giving you as far as feedback goes. Um, what do you think about their abilities at the pro level, how they'll translate, and where you think they might get selected? Well, I mean, Keith's prototypical pro pitcher. I mean, the body, the hand size, the arm. Um, you've seen flashes from Keith where you look at him and go, wow, that guy's got a chance to make it a long way. And then Raleigh's different because it depends on what team takes him and what role they want. Mm-hmm. Because that two seam fastball that he has, it's unhittable. Right. So for me, yeah, if they start him in the minor leagues, it might take him a while to work his way up. But some team might take him and stick him in the bullpen, and he might be in Double A in a hurry based on a two seamer. Um, he, if I had to give you a comp for him, he reminds me of the guy the Cardinals had. He's with the Royals now, Seth Manis. Okay. He pitched at East Carolina. We, were, I was coaching in that league when he was at East Carolina. They're like almost identical, basically just two seams, two seams, and you know it's coming. You're trying to hit it, but even though you hit it, you beat it in the ground, which mm. you saw a thousand Constantly. times in the last two years. Um, <coughs> and at that level, it just, it's just a really tough pitch to, to square up. Mm-hmm. Um, and in short stints, when not value guys throw that and you're coming, he's coming in for three or three to five outs in the middle of a game, who knows how far Raleigh could go. How big was it for those two 
and really I noticed it with all the pitchers that um, you know that came back from last year. It looked like their swinging strike rate were increased a lot from you know year to year. Now maybe this is a better question for Wordy, but I mean, um, what did you see in their development that able that now allowed them to get more swings and misses when they needed to, and not necessarily rely on hoping that the hitter doesn't find the hole. Well, I think defense? Raleigh got a slider back a little bit this year too, so it was sinker slider. And the changeup was getting mixed in, so it was mm-hmm. another pitch. So as a hitter, if you've got to file away, there's three options, which is we try to tell our guys not to. We're trying to stick with one. And, and they're all breaking and they're yeah. all moving. Yeah. yeah, they're all one slowing down and going down, one's cutting into you, one's cutting away. It's hard to handle. And then I think both of them, as they matured, realized they could throw balls on purpose. Um, Raleigh a little bit more than Keith because mm-hmm. he has a little bit more command, but Raleigh's a year older. So um, being able to throw balls – on purpose in when they got hitters in swing mode that versus you having a guy in swing mode and then leaving a ball on the plate and they put it in play. Exactly. Um, when you got it, I mean, that's almost like the, the blood in the water scenario where you, hey, you got the guy on two, he's in swing mode, finish him. And I think they started to finish him. Yes. Yeah. That was key. Do you see Keith as a starter at the professional level too? Because there's been some, I've heard some, I've heard two kind of conversations I, on that about. Yeah, and I think it just depends on what the organization, I could think he could do either or. Okay. His ceiling's so high. He's just—he's still a young kid. I mean, he's right. that kid. He's mm-hmm. barely shaded, so <laughs> who knows where what'll happen here soon. Um, and then obviously, um, there are some guys that you guys have signed coming into this class. We alluded to it earlier that are draft eligible, obviously. Mm-hmm. That which did you think maybe could possibly be selected early enough to? Yeah, I, I, at least lose some sleep over a little bit. Yeah, I think if we can get through today, and then most early part of tomorrow. Uh, the beauty of some of the guys that we did sign, like Ryan Mantle and Jacob Voss and Mitchell Reagan, the guys that we were kind of concerned about, is they're all really good students. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the chance to to get that degree started at least for right. a year, if not two, is, is huge for them. So I think they're kind of selling that way that they, they want a chance to go do something. So um, here, and because it's tough. When you sign as a, a sophomore at junior college, you don't make it, you're going to be 25, and now you got to go back for three, maybe even four, depending on where you go and what transfers in at the mm-hmm. age of 25. And at least this way they get started. And um, But we're, we're excited about that, that group of guys right there. As someone who's, uh, you know, in charge of rounding this whole thing together, do you, when you're watching the draft and seeing how everything goes, do you look at a round and say, okay, I've hit, uh, I've hit my safe safety point? Or do you look at a situation like, if a player goes maybe in the 15th or 16th, but it's to a farm system that needs to replenish the position yeah, that he's playing. Looking, and you're looking at what pick that was for the team, too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you might think the Cardinals picked in the third round, but that was their first pick. So right. the guys going in the 12th round are really their ninth pick and things like that. So you're, it's more about where you're going, fit, kind of what the kid wants to do. Um, and get, and get a, have a feel for... Uh, what the what the student athlete what he what he wants to do, based on how what you've heard in his recruitment. Correct. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. so you're basing that on that and the family. Family has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the family's pushing and he doesn't really care that much about school, it's just I've been sitting here with a bunch of JUCO guys before that didn't. School was third on third third to five maybe yeah third to fifth in their priorities. Um, those are the ones that made you nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see him go in the fifteenth round, you're like okay. So, so there are several factors that contribute to yes. your stress level. That's, yes. that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but you think, you know, in the recruiting process, you have a feel for, one, when you meet the family, too, and how good of a student they are, what they, 
do they like college baseball? Because mm-hmm. college baseball is different than pro ball. I mean, this is the last time, and you'll tell most pro guys, I'll tell you the same thing, is that it's the last time you're going to play to win with your team, with your teammates, mm-hmm. until you make probably the big leagues, or if you get lucky enough to play in the playoffs yeah. in the minor leagues, because it's about getting hits, scoring runs, making sure I'm doing what I need to do so I can move up. Um, it's not about whether or not, you know, the Delmarva Shorebirds win tonight or not. They're, they're worried about getting hits. Yeah. Um, and in college, it's your, your teammates every day. You're in the weight room with them all the time. and You're just together all the time. And then you're trying to win something. You're trying to win championships. It's there's, there's, there's some part of it that's uh, maybe this is a reach, but like comparable, especially like if you're playing in a deeper conference with a lot of talented guys and you get a situation where, okay, if I get drafted in this spot, I'll be playing low A. Is it really better competition and better coaching than Correct. the one yeah, I'm you'll see the yeah. SEC and the ACC hold on the guys that mm. some of the mid-majors probably won't, right. um, just based on that situation. And I think sometimes kids look at what team they're coming back to and whether or not they think they got to re- – I mean, it's tough. My freshman year, we had our closer get drafted in the 12th round, but he looked at our team and went, we got a chance to be special next year. I think he was going to come back. Mm-hmm. And he came back and was a first-rounder. It was probably the best decision of my life. He went 15-1 and as a starter. And yeah. We were a number one seed, which we didn't get the host, but we were one seed, which we'll talk about that on another podcast. Back in the day. Oh, <laughs> yes, I lost at South Carolina in the regional final and didn't get to Omaha. But okay. That's my other – that's all the other great hair on the other side of my head. Sure. So. Um, I guess you've been at Creighton now a couple of years, but, I mean, when you're when you're selling recruits here, what is, what is Creighton – what have you learned about Creighton since coming here as a coach, and what have you learned? What have you What have you taken of that new information mm-hmm. and molded it into your recruiting pitch when you try to sell guys well, on coming what I, here? What I think I tell guys the most is this is a special place, and you get to play for a special coach too because he's not worried about all the other stuff that a lot of people. I mean, he wants to win with every fiber of his being, but he says it all the time in our coaches' meetings that if all we're doing this for is to win games, then we probably shouldn't do it. And he's really working every day to try to be make our players the best men they can be, the best teammates they can be, make sure we're leading as a coaching staff to show them that. So that's always at the top of our is they're going to get the right type of experience here where they're going to learn. When they, when they leave this program, they're going to be better men, um, and hopefully with the degree in hand. And then to be able to coach underneath his system where you can just watch players develop. I mean, this is a player development program. Uh, that's the biggest sell for us where we're not – just running guys in and out if we can. Mm. Um, obviously, draft and situations happen, but you're coming here because we want to see you as a freshman, and he wants to coach that guy, and he wants guys that want to be coached, and you see those guys develop. That's why you see all of his draft guys. It's not like these coaches taking, you know, top ten rounders and they leave as second rounders. He's taking undrafted guys and they're leaving yeah. as fifth rounders. Exactly. Um, and that's kind of the special part of the program. And then you get to do it and get an unbelievable degree at a really good school. Mm. Um, then the Jesuit mission on top, so we do a lot of that stuff with talk with those, some of our Catholic kids. Um, and then you get to play in the Taj Mahal and play. I noticed that's pretty low on your list of things there. Well, it depends. And, and I it, sell it, it really, everybody thinks that's the major selling point, yeah. but you didn't even mention that no, for the I th- first. No, like, I think, yeah, I don't think. If, you make, if a kid makes a decision on your program because of the stadium, yeah. it's probably not the right decision. Right. Um, and then, too, uh, we sell that pretty hard to the pitchers, and then we try to hide <laughs> make sure they watch, watch the World Series on mute so that nobody talks about it. But um, but that's that's the last part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Now, that does, for us, if you can do all that other stuff and then tell them, hey, by the way, 
we're going to play our games and practice in the fall at the Taj Mahal. Where everybody wants to go every yes. year. Yeah. And then bringing the fact that we have people in this community that really, really care about baseball. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of communities that it's on the back burner, college baseball. This one, it's not. And we have a you know a great fan base that cares a lot, um, provides energy at games, which you don't see over probably half the schools in Division One. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's a special place. We're a small, small school, great degree, big-time baseball, play for a soon-to-be Hall of Fame coach one day that's going to develop you as a person and as a player and do it in this environment in this city. So I think it's a, it's a special mix. Try to get your head out of uh, the job. Let you <laughs> let you breathe a little bit. Let you talk as a baseball fan, as a baseball guy. Um, obviously, the college baseball world is about to descend on Omaha. Descend on Omaha. I'm not, like not a very smart guy. Um, descend on Omaha this weekend. College World Series is starting. Um, I know we've gone back and forth over regional play. What did you think about? What were I guess? What were your surprises during regional play? Um, and what were the things that maybe you saw that? Um, I guess maybe if you want to go controversial plays that you think maybe altered some outcomes or things like that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, the ones they thought were controversial were probably less controversial. Really? I was pretty hot over the Davidson thing. Did you yeah, think that was pretty good? I think that was by book Yeah. how it needed to be ruled. I mean, it's one of those. That was interesting. Yeah. I don't. So that's, that really changed the game, it I did. thought. So. It did. Now, I'm obviously in the regional. Davidson beating Carolina at Carolina, which, I mean, I coach in that community around there. I've seen that. Going to Carolina isn't – it's a great ballpark. They have great fans, but it's not the crowds that you will see like at LSU or it's not hostile right. like those places. So, yeah, I could see some teams went for Davidson to do where I think they had to win two out of three in the last weekend to get into the A-10 tournament. Yeah. Is that correct? Right. So, to do that and the things that they do there. and I mean, to, they get to the A-10 tournament to win it and then go beat Carolina at Carolina not once but twice. Mm-hmm. Beat them once. They play from the front. Yeah. yeah to beat them f- the four ones every once in a while seeing that team beat, yeah, I, okay, that happens. That's a fluke. Mm-hmm. But then to go ahead and beat Florida Gulf Coach, which is a really underrated team that's really offensive, mm-hmm. that's been good for years that nobody knows about. For half the time when they were really good, they couldn't even be in the tournament right. because that's when they had Chris Sale and mm-hmm. a bunch of guys. So, And then to jump to that, beat them, and then – Go ahead and beat Carolina again. They just finished it off in yeah, one game. I mean, that's, yeah. I, mean I, I think in my first five years in college baseball, three of those five, we were the 2-0 and team in the regionals, and we lost them both because we were on the road, and it's, it's still yeah, tough to yeah. finish. That's why people were asking, you know, Florida State, what they lost the game at Tennessee Tech, and then Auburn's 2-0, and and Florida State's like, oh, well, Auburn's in. And I'm going, no, oh, I've, been, I've been there twice, 2-0. It ain't that easy at that place. If you give Florida State an inkling at home, they're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. There's some magic in that They've put some whoopings on people down in that ballpark. Yeah. Well, they're built to play in that park. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a unique park, mm-hmm. the really short right field, and they know how to play to it. And You get that crowd going down there, they get a little more hostile than some other places. and It's just a really tough place to win. It really is. Uh, so, One thing I'm curious about, and we don't have to talk about the specifics of why, because that's a little disturbing, but I mean, Oregon State obviously went through a situation where that number one was probably the best pitcher in the country, yeah, statistically, I mean, easily. And then, how do, I mean, what does it say about Oregon State? Just forget Heimlich for a minute. What does it say about Oregon State that they were able to just, like, stay I, on task and not even really... Nothing short of amazing. I mean, Coach talked about that the other day where 
I mean, we're worried about the littlest, tiniest of distraction in the middle of the year on a Tuesday, taking our 18 to 22 year olds focus on what they need to do. Right. And for them to have an unbelievable distraction at the biggest, almost the biggest stage is how they can go out and, I mean, they, they handled a yeah. really good team. Yes. And they looked as sharp as probably they've looked, I mean, they lost four games. So. I mean, it wasn't high stress for them. They were they played from, they were in control of regionals. It, it looked like, I mean, if you say, well, that's the best team in the country, yeah, they played like it too. Mm-hmm. Against a really good opponent, against, I mean, what that guy go to, third, fourth pick, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah I think he was number five, right? Yeah. 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 And then they, they had, frustrated And him. you get a free uh, first rounder and Alfield and, uh, uh, well, I'm talking yeah, about yeah. for Vanderbilt, Kendall and Toffee. Right. Oh, yeah. Just you know, talent for death. Coffee was hot. Yeah. yeah. To do that against them with that stuff going on, I mean, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, because it's, re- it's really easy to go, okay, well, all this, all this stuff going on, what would, and they said, nope, this mm-hmm. is what we're going to do, and they did it. Uh, it's unbelievable. Man. Is 54 and 4 in this day and age, like, is I'm, that not getting talked about enough? Because I feel like there's so much parody com- in the game now that. Parody, and then, but you're also talking about, you're comparing times. Where before they moved the schedule back, where nobody was playing double midweeks. Mm-hmm. You played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you played Tuesday. You never played double midweeks. Right. And now you're playing five games, and you're playing on a Wednesday, and you got 18 and 22 year olds that are probably leaving to go on Thursday morning on some trip against a conference team that's probably really good, and then you're playing somebody that's probably not as good on Wednesday. And mm-hmm. to do what they did, I mean, that's that's almost like what I played going close to being. Undefeated because right, it's I mean it's unbelievable. I, I look at that and I say that can't be right. I know four losses. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, how you not run into a bad day? Because there's so many good teams out there. Yeah. Even teams that like, if you say Oregon State is the best team in the in the nation right now, that doesn't mean they're the best team in the nation every single day. And there are plenty of teams in this country yes. that are capable of knocking anybody and out. Plenty of teams in that league. Yeah, and to go on the road and continually sweep on the road, I mean, how good was Stanford? Yeah. Any other year wins the Pac-12. Right. And they can't because Oregon State doesn't lose a game. It wasn't even much. close. Yeah. yeah. They weren't even I mean, unbelievable. So, I mean, now as you see the field, for me when I'm looking at this field, 2011 looked like a strong year the first year that they moved it to TD. Um, there were a lot of national seeds there. But, I mean, when you look at this field and you look at the, the history of these teams, but it's not a lot of, like, it's not – as chalky as it looks. Like, Florida State still doesn't look to have, doesn't want a title. There's, yeah. like, a lot of hunger there. Mm-hmm. TCU, the same thing. Like, there's a lot of modern-era teams that are, like, that have been in the College World Series multiple times but still haven't got the ring. Well, you're looking Louisville. at Florida and Florida State that have never won a national title. Right, right. Correct? right. I mean, and they've been here how many times combined? Mm-hmm. Ungodly amounts. Mm-hmm. Um, 32, I think, combined, yeah. And it's, it's, Coach says this all the time, it's not about who you're playing or how good they are. It's about when you're playing them. Mm-hmm. And I think... Who knows what could happen? This thing's a crapshoot. It feels like all eight yeah. have a shot. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, that whole story, and this was true forever, right? You can't go to Omaha your first time and win it. Well, Coastal did. So Which which you called, by the way. Another, <laughs> yeah, another, yes. Another prediction for Rich Wallace. Because there. I just thought they could play that part. Yeah. And but you've had a lot of experience with Coastal, like, yeah, you know, I, they're from your I area. I watched them yeah. when I competed against them um, for years. Um, and just the way they went about it. and They were so close so many times. The mm-hmm. people the two times that what started South Carolina's run when they won the first one is they were down a game in a Super Regional in Myrtle Beach to Coastal, mm-hmm. and they got the Game 3, and Game 3, Coastal's first soon-to-be first-round pick, but it was a freshman that year, 
got the flu and couldn't pitch. Mm-hmm. Coast ended up losing like a one-run game, and that got South Carolina in there. And, and they were so close so many times that I think it was just time. Yeah. For them, and you can see that. Um, is that what happens with Florida? Is that what happens with Florida State? Does TCU have to be here four times in a row right. finally break through? Now it's going to be tough without. I mean, they have, they're not even healthy, and they're still no, looking like they're not missing a beat. Yeah. yeah. But they got a catcher back there that's a real oh leader. Yeah. That guy's speaking special. of catchers, we talked. We get Rich Wallace excited about catchers all yeah. day. Well, there's two of them from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And the Papirski kid, um, Papirski kid, and the scout kid played on the same travel team. So that's crazy. It was fun to watch those two. That's outrageous. Um, yeah. So we won't spoil your champion off the bat. So we'll just start with um, Oregon State, Cal State, Fullerton. I think is game one to start this thing off. Yeah. Um, so obviously you got the Oregon State fifty-four and four team. Versus the Cal State Fullerton team that just lives for Omaha. They're here all the Correct. time. They play the game that I think is designed to win at TD Ameritrade Park. You know, yeah. they play small ball. They manufacture runs. They pitch really well. They play defense. What do yeah. you think about that I think, matchup? I mean, and, and the whole thing here at this park is, yeah, you got to pitch and play defense. Well, I think if you pitch and play defense, if you didn't put pitch and play defense, you probably wouldn't be in this thing to begin with. Exactly. So throw those two out. Sure. Everybody in this thing is going to pitch and play defense. Some slightly better, but it's probably going to wash out. Okay. I think you get to this game, if you watch all these, can you play baseball or not? Can you move guys when you need to move guys? Can you get two out hits in that ballpark? Can you? Re- who's going to play better? And that's mm-hmm. all it is. Who's going to go down there and play better? And then handle, have you done it before? And I think... Fullerton, for some reason, plays pretty good. Mm-hmm. They have in the past, and even the games they've lost have been, I mean, they could go on anyway. It's the ones that I've sat and watched, at least for them. And this is the matchup with two teams that have won the title. Correct. So, I mean, Oregon State has the two in a row back-to-back in 06-07. Fullerton's got four throughout their history. Yeah. Um, so it's the teams that, like, have been to Omaha but also know what it takes to get it done in Omaha. Correct. And, I mean, it's trying to pick this one's going to be really tough. But um, I just think... Until somebody beats Oregon State, right? I'm like, oh, you can't. They it's, lost four games. Right. This isn't like they're 48 and 12. And, no. Yeah. No. And they they struggled in their conference. They like playing conference tournament. Cause exactly. Probably won four in that one too. <laughs> so, I mean, until that point, I think you got to take Oregon State until they say until they say, okay, we're tired of winning. Mm-hmm. And, and NCAA did a really smart job putting a Florida State and LSU in the nightcap because that's probably going to be wild as far as a crowd goes. It's, um, it's going to, and you got a team. That hasn't been here in a while, and last time they heard it didn't play very well. Right. And then LSU, I don't think since they've been in this park, has not played. I don't think so. They, I think they, maybe they, did they win it once here, or was that still in Rosenblatt when they beat Texas? I can't remember. I, don't I think it was in Rosenblatt. Rosenblatt. You're yeah. right, you're I right. I think it was. No, I can tell you the year that was. So yeah, they went 0-2 with Bregman and Lane they, and It was guys. 0-9 when they won it, right? 0-9? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. Yeah, because I remember my old job that Terry Rooney left. My boss at UCF for a while, and then the year after he left, they won it. So that's how, that's how my mind works. So, work through the work through the years. And LSU's obviously, uh, I think, the number four national seed overall. They obviously have, and if you Poche watch, and yeah, Lang, and I mean, can Florida State. If you watch those guys, they they look like they have some it this year. There's some yeah. They got some it factor, and the shortstop Kramer Robertson's a spark plug and a real player. And the catcher's good defensively, and then you got Duplantis. And Dykeman that mm-hmm. probably is going to hit some balls that are going yeah, yeah, to go, go watch that BP. I watched him when he was like 16 years old in the old metro in the Metrodome, like the underclass thing, and he was hitting balls on the upper deck. That's it's, it's some special stuff. But so you going with the uh, the Bayou Bengals? Or? I would I would lean towards LSU, but jeez, my heart wants to say 
Yeah, you want Martin to get one, yeah, man. Yeah, if you ever met him, he's just a really? great person. And the whole staff's awesome. I know him all really well. So. It's something on the staff, too, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, played there, caught there. Uh, That's crazy. He's been there for a long That's time. That's college baseball so. right there. Yep. yep, and then Mike Bell. I mean, he's been, he's no, I mean, he was a pitching coach for Tennessee, I believe, when they went to Omaha. He was a pitching coach at Oklahoma when they went to Omaha. He was the pitching coach here last time that Florida State went. So you got a guy that's going to be calling pitches that's not going to be right, yeah. taking any breath at any time. He's going to be just fine. Exactly. So, so you go over to the other side of the bracket. A&M, obviously, uh, I mean, they had to go through a tough regional on the first side, but then they get Davidson, who's, you know, the under Cinderella of the tournament. Mm-hmm. And I thought was giving them a run for their money, especially in that ballpark, which is the energy was off the, I mean, it's coming through your TV. I mean, that's got to be one of the best ones in the country, right? I mean, yeah, for I as think far so. as fan involvement. I still have the box number one. I'm, yeah. Until, I'm, but, yeah. But, I mean, at that one point. One A, one B. Exactly. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, if you had to say who was technically the least talented or playing the best going in, it would probably be A&M. But right. They're here, aren't they? Sure. So, and they got real arms. They just don't have probably not as many as they've had in the past. Mm-hmm. The depth on the mound's probably, but at this in this tournament you don't need depth if you win. Right, just so, play from the front. Yeah. yeah, if you win, then you can stick around with one and twos until you lose. So what do you what do you when you look at Louisville? Obviously they're really talented, and it starts with Brendan McKay, probably one of the best two way players in college baseball history, right? I yeah. mean John Orr was probably lucky that they named the award for him before Brendan McKay. <laughs> exactly. Came. I mean he's I done mean, it every year after year. He's I mean, been. Yeah, you're talking about. since somebody's been that good yeah. both ways. Yeah. Uh, I was like 10 maybe. Yeah. Time. Yeah, I was And he was really good. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think anybody that's been that good recently. Mm-hmm. What makes him so effective as a pitcher? I mean... He's got... He can pitch. And he's got all like the level stuff. Like, he's got yeah. really good pitch ability. Mm-hmm. He can throw to both sides of the play. He can throw both pitches... All, all three pitches for strikes. He can actually move the breaking ball on both sides of the play. He's just got really good feel. And the stuff's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they seem like if anyone's going to. I mean, we did mention that the field is wide open. I do agree that it is. But I mean, if if you're trying to rank them as far as likelihood, is Louisville yes. right underneath Oregon State? I would talent wise. Yeah. I mean, and they had a fight to get through this thing. That Kentucky Super Regional. I mean, yeah, some of the scores look, but Kentucky's as good as offense as you're going to see in college mm-hmm. baseball, and they they handle them pretty good. Exactly. They got enough pitching. I think they got over that little worried about the bottom of the ninth and the super regional. So now they got that past them. <laughs> right, right. And they're so athletic. I mean, they're athletic all around. They can, they can do, they can beat you in so many ways. Defensively, I don't think they get talked about enough. Like, yeah, and I think there's a lot of similarities between what they do offensively this year and what Coastal did last year too. Mm-hmm. Where they, they can steal bases, they can hit home runs, they got some, they can, they can bail themselves out with home runs, but they can, they manufacture and. How? I mean, at, T- at TD and maybe in the College World Series in general, how how valuable is it to have the ability as a team, you know, with talented players that can switch momentum quickly like that, where you don't have to like, all right, we gotta load the bases up, yeah. gotta squeeze them home, like the ability to switch momentum with one de- awesome defensive yes. player, one big swing, like how valuable is that? It's huge because in that ballpark, if you let it, sometimes it'll three nothing feels like ten nothing, mm-hmm. and. The momentum, just being able to... That's what you saw at Coastal last year, is they would get hot and all of a sudden, bang, 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 bang. Yeah. They would score, or they would have nothing going, and the guy would walk and steal second and got, get a base hit and score them. I mean, just to be able to keep momentum on your side and continue to score is, is enormous in that place. And you never know how it's going to play. Like, we we saw some days when the wind was blowing out and it played normal, and 
played small a couple times, really, with the wind blowing out. But you could go down that field and walk in there in the morning. That's the first thing Coach does when he walks in that park is he walks down the field and looks at the flags and figures it out. Because there's some days where that wind blows straight in, you could hit it twice. Yeah. And it's not going to matter. Right. Um, you can hit it from second base. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, can you still score runs? I think they can. Mm-hmm. Louisville, that's, that's a team that – I think that's kind of – how you got to play in that park is you got to be versatile. You got to be right. Wind multiple ways. That's what gaps on lines. Everything you can go like Jay Johnson in Arizona last year played their way into arguably maybe a great cutoff in the corner away from trying to win a national title by the exactly. guy. But if you listen to speak about offense, team offense, his whole thing in team offense is win all types. And the win in this thing, you got to be able to win all types because that day game might play completely different than the night game. Mm-hmm. You just don't know and. You can't go, well, shoot, that's that's against what we do. We can't score tonight. <laughs> Some days half the field yeah. can't it won't yeah. carry well, anything. The other half is no, like I, we're talking to our guys sometimes, hey, we're gonna hit the ball to right and you gotta keep the ball down. Yeah. If you hit a fly ball to right, it's gonna get caught by somebody coming in. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. um, Right. And then so, uh but, sorry to interrupt. And then yeah. the last one is uh TCU and Florida finally after the rain, they finally got enough Open time to fit some baseball games, and they had I think they had more rain than they had baseball time. Yeah, if you like think of like start time. They and wasted then, a whole day almost. Yeah, day. That's, yeah, it was crazy how they got. I mean, even the LSU Mississippi State one, I was up at like twelve forty five. Like really no delay. LSU's and they made a team in Wake Forest that one it helped them Wake Forest a little bit to go to McKeithen Stadium, which plays not as small as Wake's Park. Wake's Smart Park is really small, but plays where you could hit the ball out of, so it yeah. was a good fit in for them. hurry, too. But that's one of the most underrated teams in the country. I mean, mm-hmm. You can't watch those guys on TV and say, well, if Wake Forest would beat Florida after watching, they're like, yeah, okay. Gavin Sheets is like a big leader already. Yeah. Like, he and is the Brazil a kid, I mean, all those yeah. guys. And then the center fielder, I can't think of his name right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they were athletic and mm-hmm. had power. I mean, their first team in college baseball history since they switched to bats, they had 100 home runs. Right, believe, right. right. Um, I mean, I think the second place in the field was like, Missouri State at like seventy eight. Yes. So yeah, it was like yes. They were the they were the now, big they were they had lead by now a long it is way. a launching pad where they play. But, yeah. But you still got to hit them. Right. So and, and their disparity, if you look at yeah. their disparity, they showed it. I mean, I think they've hit, I think they hit forty four in like twenty nine games at home, and then like yeah. fifty six on the road. So yeah, they, they, they the power really traveled, get, and they got it, and they've been working on that for a long time. And Tommy Walters got it to a point. They just ran into Florida. Right. I mean, they're still as talented as anybody you're gonna see. They really are in the pitching. The pitching is just so good. I mean, between Fajardo, Kowar, and Singer, I mean, those are three first-round picks at mm-hmm. some point in time. Right. Um, and back them up. And I think this team's can play. That team can play defense. Um, and I think they're going to come in a little angry. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because they've had some number one overall seeds that have gone to and barbecue before. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and this is a different. I mean. They just play a little different than they have in the past. It just mm-hmm. looks like they got a little fire to them. They always, if it's Florida, it's always going to have teams that have fire, but this one looks like it's got a little relax. And they've been tested already mm-hmm. because they lost Rivera in the middle of the year and they had injuries and they fought through it and got to where they won, somehow won the SEC, even with those injuries and right. they get to where they are. And, I mean, that's a tough thing to try to do that doubleheader and stop and lose starters. And exactly. It's a zoo. It is. It's crazy. Um, so. It could be this could be the time they actually do it. So. And then TCU, their you know their first game opponent there is a team that 
you know, they cracked through to get to Omaha, but, like, they're one of those teams that just didn't just go to Omaha to make it. I'm not even sure. Have they been to in barbecue in Omaha yet? I don't, I don't think, think they so, have. No. I think they've always won a game every time they're mm-hmm. here. So, I mean, they're a team that not only gets here, but they look like a team that and, sh- could and, win it sometimes. And honestly, if, if I'm them and looking at it from where they were last year, they were from beating Coastal in the winner's bracket away from that. They probably would have won the national title last exactly. year. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about two teams that honestly are in this thing playing each other in the first round that probably could sit back and go, probably could have won it last year. Exactly. I mean, Florida going, all our talent, we should have won it. And TCU going, if we just would have knocked Coastal, yeah. they probably win it. Uh, so, yeah, this thing, this is going to be one of the most eventful ones. For, I, think. I, I agree with you. I'm actually pretty excited for it. So, uh, feet to fire time, time to put your name on it. Um, obviously, we've got a stretch of predictions going so far, so now we're going to put them on the record and see if the pre- you can handle the pressure. Who are your two finalists, first of all? I think it's Oregon State... Florida. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Matching ones. And then, um, does it go three, or is it a sweep, first of all? I think it goes three. Goes three? I think it goes three. Okay. Um, and who's your winner? Ooh, Florida finally gets it done. I think Florida gets it done? Yep. So, okay, and then here's your bold prediction. Does Heimlich pitch in Omaha? Ooh. Because that's one of those things where they still haven't said whether or not... You know, honestly, I haven't looked at it enough Uh to know what's going on there. I, I just don't... Do they need them to? I don't know. They might be able to True. without them. True, which so, would be remarkable. Yeah. I mean, just to think about. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's for somebody that makes a lot more money than me. To Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if it does happen, I know there won't be any shortage of storylines, and that'll be one heck of yeah. a press conference. Yeah. But, uh, yes, yes. Um, Rich, thanks for the time. No problem. Um, hope, I, I probably went a little bit long. I'm sure every single one of you guys probably got drafted while we were talking. No, but uh, are you seeing a massive go to the series at all? Are you guys going to take yeah. the family in there? Yeah, they'll, um, I'm sure I'll come back off the road sometime Saturday. Go to Coach Warda Kemper's wedding on Saturday at three thirty. Nice. Which is the worst scheduling of a wedding at yeah. ever. So there's no uh, for a college baseball. There's college no debating this. You can throw that on the internet. Worst date timing ever. Wow. Um, and then I'll probably try to make it back for the night game. We'll go. We'll go Sunday. So for Father's Day, okay. we'll probably come with me Sunday. Nice. And then go back on the road. And Easton usually goes with her mom once, just her and her mom. So. No, that's totally, I totally yeah. understand that. She probably, <laughs> yeah. she probably has, I've probably podcast with her to break down the Yeah, too. <laughs> exactly. She, she have, an, have an idea. So. No, I hope you enjoy it, man. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy some downtime with the family. You've earned it. Um, appreciate it. And I appreciate the time you spent here. Thanks a lot. Um, thanks, Matt. All right, we're already in the ninth round. Thanks for that sit down, Matt. Um, really interested, like you said, yeah. to hear the perspective of of someone that, you know, this time of year, the for whatever reason, right, whether it's just how long it goes or the amount of high schoolers involved, the Major League Baseball draft, outside of just, like, diehard baseball fans, has just never really caught on as the spectator sport that the NFL or the NBA drafts have. But to hear yeah. him speak about that perspective as the coordinator in this time of year and, you know, oh, by the way, there's still college games going on, like, just still every year just unprecedented the time frame of it. So um, really interesting feedback from him. And, and hopefully we can speak with him uh, more, uh, you know, as fall ball gets into play and maybe next season gets started. So I really appreciate your Yeah, he said he wants he said he said wants to be on again. So that works. Um, he's a good guest. All right, guys. Uh, that's all I got. I know that summer league starts this week, new location. Um, 
not out at Omaha Sports Academy, but a lot of Jays are teamed up. It's always kind of hit or miss as to who's going to make it out there depending on classes and other stuff going on. So everybody make sure you stay tuned to whiteandbluereview.com to see where you can see some of these new kids uh, on the block for the Blue Jays as they sort of cut their teeth in the summer league stuff. Um, I think what Balak and Kyrie got paired together and Jacob Padilla was already freaking out. I can't wait to see how he's going <laughs> to break Mitch that is, down for us. Yeah, Mitch is the best shooter in Creighton history. <laughs> That's what I heard. The they're going to have a lumberjack <laughs> night for him. Yeah, I know. Up soon, so. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. So... Mitch Balak's going to win the country's three-point contest. It starts this week, his his rise to prominence at the Summer League. Uh, but, no, that's always a good time for the diehards to come out and see some of these guys. And, and it's just always nice to get a little bit of over hoops. Overreact overreact to their triple-doubles and things like that. Yeah, Well, yeah. It's going to be great. Course. I mean, you know, that's what we do. That's why we – Because, I mean, Davion scored like 45 points in – Davion scored 45 points in Summer League, so obviously you should do that to Marquette. So Well – there's that's people on the message board that thought that if you played him against Marquette, he would have scored 45 points, Matt. So those are probably <laughs> the same people, right? We're not doing this right now. <laughs> no, we're not. I'm going to go ahead and sign off um, um, after we thank Lawler's for yeah. being a great sponsor again. But um, I'm not sure exactly when we'll fire this, pad, this bad boy up again. But uh, looking forward to doing so. And looking forward to all you Jays fans tuning in to whiteandbluereview.com. Blue Jay Underground message board and these podcasts in particular to get caught up on all things Creighton Sports from the perspective of a couple lunatics like me and Joey and a bona fide professional like Matt DeMarinas. Thanks guys wow. for joining tonight. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Always fun. Yep. Appreciate it. And uh, be able to say a hearty good night and go Jays.